Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. I've been asked many times since this coronavirus hit, and as we've been thinking about what we're going to do to assemble, to be together, to worship God as we should, the question has come up, is it a sin for us not to be here, not to assemble? That's a question we need to talk about. There are some who don't want to talk about it at all. They don't really care. It's, it's not important to them. Whether we meet or whether we don't meet is not important. They're, they're just fine with whatever we do. There are others, however, who say, oh, we're going to meet. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what's happening. I don't care who says anything. It is our job to meet, and we're going to assemble, even if it puts you in harm's way, even if it causes others to think badly or poorly of you, we're going to do what we are always done and we're not changing. Now, those are two different mentalities that come from two obviously different places, but they come from one common place. And the common place is we are people who want to serve God. We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to follow His will. And since we intend to do what He wants, then the question, is it a sin for us not to assemble, is a question that we need to think about. We need to talk about it. We need to talk about it so that we can understand what the text in this chapter of Hebrews chapter 10 is actually talking about. But it also helps us to feel better to be on board with what we are doing and our brethren are doing worldwide. But I also think it will help us when we get back together. When we get back together, the opportunity of being assembled in the same place, this kind of study is going to help us for that time because now we're at a point where we're beginning to feel the disruption. We're beginning to feel the habit is gone. And we are appreciating being together since we're not able to be together. Let's think about the concept that this passage is teaching and understand properly what God wants us to know. In order to answer this question, we first of all need to think about what is the definition of the word forsake? What does it mean to forsake? Well, let's look at this word as it occurs in Scripture. The Bible in the New Testament uses the word ten times. Let's notice each of those ten, and in doing so, begin to get a handle on the, the idea behind this word. The most famous use of that word probably occurs in Matthew chapter 27. Jesus on the cross, also recorded in Mark 15. And the text says, as Jesus is there on the cross right before he died, the Bible says that he yelled out and everyone could hear him, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross asked his father why he had been forsaken. However, we need to keep that connected to the recording of Acts chapter 2 verses 27 
and 31. When Peter preached the, the first gospel sermon following the establishment, where as the church was established on that Pentecost day, I want you to notice with me that this use of the word forsake is also there. Quoting from Psalm 16, Peter in his sermon said that the psalmist had said that he would not forsake his son, nor would he allow his son's flesh to be corrupted. Well, Peter, verse 31, said that David, foreseeing this, spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul would not be left in Hades, nor would his flesh see corruption. What is going on? Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? Peter quotes David in the psalm saying, God will not forsake him. Do we have a contradiction here? Is there a problem here? How do we understand this concept? Well, notice if you will, Jesus was a human. And in his human state, he not only conquered sin, but he also felt every human emotion and experienced everything that we do. And I can understand it well. I can understand it well that a son in that instance would say to his father, why have you forsaken me? You remember the night before he had just cried and prayed in the garden. If there's any other way, God, if anything else can be done that I don't have to go through this, then why don't we do that? Nevertheless, your will be done. In a human state, in his humanity, Jesus did in fact feel forsaken. He felt like he had been dismissed and set aside, and he had been abandoned, but he had not been. God did not forsake him to leave him, in death. He didn't leave him in Hades. He never did forsake him fully. Yes, he went through something physically, but Jesus, in fact, was not forsaken. He was not abandoned. He was not set aside. We find out from Paul that he understood what it was to be forsaken as a human. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 and 16, we find out it's a sad situation, actually, for the life of Paul. Paul says to Timothy, hurry to come to me because Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed to Thessalonica. One of the workers that Paul had with him, Demas, forsook. Paul. What does that mean? He abandoned him. He set him aside. He chose instead the world and whatever was going on in Thessalonica. He left the mission work in order to pursue whatever worldly thing was happening in Thessalonica. We get our first hint now of what real forsaking or abandonment is. Notice verse 16. Paul says when he was on trial for his life, he makes what really is a sad statement. At my first defense, no one stood with me. They've all forsaken me, but God stood with me. What did Paul say? I was on trial. My life hung in the balance. Every friend, 
every coworker, everybody left me. That is, they were not with me. They abandoned me. I was forsaken. They were over there, and I was over here. In that situation, notice what Paul is saying. To be abandoned, to be forsaken, is to set something aside in order to pursue something else. Now, Paul really did not feel forsaken overall. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said that he was pressed hard, but he was not crushed. He was pressured, but he was not in despair. And then it says he was persecuted, but not forsaken. Well, now, wait a minute, Paul. Didn't you just say that Demas forsook me? That everybody forsook me and didn't stand with me at my defense when I was on trial? How can you now say he was not forsaken? In a physical sense, these physical relationships set him aside at that moment for something else. But God did not forsake him overall. Paul knew that he was not really forsaken. You know why? Because of the final use of the word and the promise that God gave in Hebrews 13, when God says, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Christians can know that God is always there. God will never abandon us. He will never forsake us. He will never set us aside. What does this word to forsake mean? I think it means this. To abandon in favor of something else. Now that's the idea behind this word forsake. Do not forsake assembling yourselves together. Let's add or put the definition in place of the word. Do not abandon assembling together for the purpose of doing something else. Now, that would be a proper understanding, I think, of this verse. Therefore, what does it mean? Have we abandoned assembling together for the purpose of something else that we hold to a better or higher priority? Absolutely not. In fact, we have so prioritized the message in this verse that we have gone to these links to make it available that people can in some way assemble for worship to God. That's how much we treasure this verse. But in the second place, how then, even though we're not assembling, how do we make sure that we don't forsake or that we don't abandon this idea in this verse. What kind of suggestions or thoughts do we need to have? Look at the verse as it occurs to us. Verse 24 of Hebrews 10. Number one, in order to make sure that while we're not assembling, we are still not forsaking that opportunity... We need to continue the purpose for which God gave the assembly. Consider one another 
to provoke to love and good works. Think about that verse. Here is the purpose behind the assembly. Number one, it is to consider each other. The word means to think about each other. It may very well be, as I had said earlier, that one of the positive things that will grow out of this time is for us to feel the fact that we do miss each other, that we really do miss the connection and the opportunity to be together, not only in this assembly of worship in this building, but fellowship times when we can eat together and talk and play and have fun, just being together. How often during this time have you thought about your Christian friends that you can't assemble with? Expand it. How about your, your family members that live elsewhere that you can't go and visit like you might want to? How about your friends in the neighborhood? How about your school? How about your work? All of those connections, are you finding yourself thinking about them? That's what this text says about our brethren. We need to consider, think about each other, and I would encourage us to keep from abandoning the assembly, the purpose of it. We need to think about each other often. But notice what he says. Think about in order to provoke. Now that word has a negative connotation, to provoke. It means to jab and to stab and to stir them up and to get them excited. Literally the word does mean to stir up. I haven't checked this yet, but it wouldn't surprise me. If our word peroxide isn't taken from this word, paroxysmus, is the word in Greek. You know what peroxide does? You know when you get a cut and you pour peroxide on that wound, what does it do? It bubbles, doesn't it? And in bubbling, it brings the impurities out of the wound. That's what this word is. This word is provoke them Stir them, bubble them up, get them excited. That's what the assembly's purpose is, is to encourage and strengthen and build up and bubble up our Christian fellowship. We need to keep doing that, even though we're not in the same place at the same time, even though we miss our friends and our relatives. We need to find ways to stir each other up so that we'll keep doing good things and that we will keep loving each other during this time. You don't want to abandon the purpose of the assembly. Because if we abandon the purpose, then we have abandoned the facility, the uh, opportunity and the fellowship of the assembly. Number two, if I want to make sure that I'm not abandoning, forsaking the assembly, I need to make sure that I follow the intensity of the assembly. Now notice the verse, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together first, as the manner of some is. I don't know what it would have been that would have stirred people not to assemble. I have a thought. The church had been established 30 years before this time. We're now into a second generation of Christians. 
We're in a second generation of Christians who maybe had, quote, grown up in the church. That's all they had ever known. And now maybe it's becoming old hat. It's becoming habit. It's just becoming something we do. And we don't appreciate it. And we don't want necessarily to make it the highest priority. And so for just whatever reason, they just abandoned it. Maybe not every time, but it wasn't a high priority. They abandoned they forsook it as the manner of some is. The writer says, don't do that. But then notice the intensity this way. And so much the more. Now, using our illustration of peroxide, it would be him saying, you put the peroxide on there and then pour it on again. So much more so. You should more and more even want to assemble together. Don't abandon it when you see the day approaching. Let's understand this. Notice there was a day coming that they could see. And as that day came, they should keep assembling together. Well, it doesn't seem to make sense to me that the word day in that passage is meaning the Lord's day. Because the assembly was taking the Lord's day in it. So he would not be saying, keep assembling on the Lord's day as you see the Lord's day coming. Not the first day of the week, Lord's day. There's something happening in their time that's extremely important. The Hebrew writer gives us a hint. You want to look at it? A couple of passages. Look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 13. Notice what he says. In that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Jesus took the old covenant out of the way, brought in a new one. But now look at the rest of that verse. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Wait a minute. I thought the old covenant had been taken away at the cross. Yes, it had. That is true. However, it was true in its efficacy. That is, it was no longer something that could be practiced in order to be right with the Lord. But it still could be practiced. There's something happening here. There's a coming thing. There's a coming time when this is going to be gone. Look at chapter 10 and verse 37. Yet a little while, he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now finally look at chapter 12. Let's start at verse 25. See then that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more so shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. Now he's talking, I think, about the time when Moses was, was 
about to go up on the mountain to get the command of the old law. And God from the mountain spouted forth the Ten Commandments in his own voice. And it shook the whole earth and scared them so badly. They said, Moses, don't let him talk anymore. You just go get it and come back. His voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. And of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, notice, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken... Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. When the book of Hebrews was being written, there was something about to happen. There was a day coming and they could see it. Jesus had talked about it in Matthew 24, that there was a day coming, this time when, when these people should be ready because the army was coming and we're going to circle the city and we're going to take it over and destroy it and take it away. It was talking about the destruction of A.D. 70. And those people, he said, the closer and closer you get to the day that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, more and more you should be together, stirring each other up. This day could be seen. They could tell the signs because Jesus gave them the signs. The historian, Jewish historian Josephus indicates, he says, that Christians, no Christians were killed in the destruction of Jerusalem because they accepted the words of Jesus, saw the writing, saw the signs, and ran out and didn't fall in the taking of Jerusalem. And now at AD 70, not only was the efficacy of the old law done away at the cross, but now the ability even to practice it properly is gone. Judaism cannot be practiced properly today because nobody knows who the Levi tribe is. All the records are gone. God obliterated it. And now he shook it a final time, or at least another time. But now notice there's a day coming for us too. Peter talks about in 2 Peter 3. There's a day. And that day is not a day that I can see with the signs as those people did when Jerusalem was about to be destroyed. Because he says in verse 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3, The day of the Lord will come as how? A thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. And all the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct? and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved and the elements being on fire will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth. 
If it was important for those people to be together and assemble because a day was coming even though they could see it, isn't it even more important for us to assemble and to be together for a day that we can't know exactly when it is and it could come at any moment? Isn't it true that we then should even be more concerned about assembling and being together and worshiping God to stir each other up to love and good works? We dare not abandon, forsake the assembly. Okay. So what does all this mean? What do we need to know? Is it, in fact, a sin for us not to be here in a symbol? Let me answer it this way. Yes. It would be a sin for us not to be here in a symbol if, as a congregation under our shepherds, we did not offer an alternative to being here then that would be a sin. If our shepherds had said, hey, for the next two or three months, ever how long it's going to be, we're just not going to meet. Don't worry about it. Yes, we would violate this passage. Number two, I would say, yes, it would be true individually. If any one of us says, oh, yeah, I don't have to get up on Sunday morning. I'll just sleep in. Everything will be fine. And I'll get back another time. No, no. If you abandon your opportunity through this means to assemble, yes, it would be sinful for you. And let me be even more practical. I dress like this not only to keep as much normalcy as possible, but you know what? I'm not going to be a judge, but I'll say this. If you get up on Sunday to join us in this online worship, and basically you've just rolled out of bed, you kick back in a lounge chair with your coffee and you got your pajamas on, are you really able to worship God well? Again, I'm not going to make a statement about how to dress when you're at home for worship. But what I am going to say is this. If it is important to prepare to worship, if worship is important and the opportunity, do what you can to worship as properly as possible. That's why I think you should get up on Sunday and treat it just like you're coming here. Oh, I know that we dress for people who see us. But we also, there's a concept of dressing for success. We dress well and we do better. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for me to worship properly with nobody else here. It's a challenge for the guys sitting in the AV booth, not only when we're not here, but when we are here, the two of them, the three, whoever's up there, it's a challenge for them to worship while making sure that we're able to worship by them doing what they do. It's a challenge, and we have to take that challenge. And so, yes, I think every one of you out there who is worshiping this way, treat it just as specially as you can. And, and step up the game, as it were, because we need to worship as God would have us to do. Not being here is tough. But it's not forsaking. Because we haven't said, instead of assembling, we're going to do something else which we would rather be doing. 
That would be forsaking. That would be abandoning. But that's not what we're doing. God would not forsake us. He'll not set us aside. Even though we're not assembled here together, I want to make sure that you understand. If you're not right with the Lord, you need to be. The day when he returns and you're here, if you're not ready, it's going to be a sad day. You need to be ready for that day. You need to be ready. And if you're not a child of God, you need to decide, I'm going to be immersed to have my sins washed away. You give me a call and we'll bring you up here and baptize you anytime. We need to make sure if you're wrong, if you're not a child of God, you need to be. And maybe through this lesson and through these online studies, we'll be more encouraged as Christians to be what God wants us to be and step up our game to be faithful to the Lord. We call all of us to that today. And I pray and want for you to have those considerations. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.